from shelter to shelter, from the Danforth to Queen. Some people wonder what's up with this scene. Why ain't I working a job nine to five? Why is it some to barely survive? I give you an answer if you really must know. I jumped aboard this train 40 plus years ago. Ryan for Little Child back in 73. And she would turn on a lot over to me. Six months on the street at 17 is a chore. Seven or eight months locked up. Shut the door. I've never been able to be more than I am. A crusty old soul, a shell of a man. Maybe someday I'll explain just why. But believe me, dude, I can justify. <laughs> standing we're at the north end of Moss Park baseball field. I'm on the west side of the diamond. On the south side of the diamond past the field is a basketball court. We have tents all around us. We call this tent town, not tent city. We call it tent town and I'm the mayor slash security guard of tent town. When we started this there was about 10 tents now we're over 100. If people could come down here and see how we're living, they would be amazed. Like, like we, we barbecue. You think we're at a trailer park. I swear to God, you come in here. You think I should start charging a mission. My name is Richard Dixon, AKA Tent Towns Mayor, AKA the Miss Wheezy Leezy Jeezy Little Man. <laughs> Moss Park's a huge grassy clearing that's surrounded by trees, and it spans a couple of city blocks in Toronto's downtown east side. There's a baseball diamond, tennis courts, a community center, and an arena. There's a community garden. While I was there, there was a man in the middle of the park decked out head to toe in khaki, practicing casting with a fly fishing rod. I'm told that a lot of people do this specific thing in the park. By the way, I'm Aliyah Pabani. A couple of months ago, I joined the Encampment Support Network, which is this ad hoc group of people who started doing outreach to encampments around the city when the pandemic hit. That means showing up for evictions, delivering ice, Gatorade, and water. We give people tents. You know, things that you'd expect the city to do. So it's hard to overstate how much things can actually change in an encampment from day to day. And a lot happened on the two days that I was at Moss Park. The tent town you'll hear about in this episode is not the tent town that's there now. The Moss Park neighborhood is on a piece of land that the Huron-Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, and more recently people of many other indigenous nations have lived on and stewarded for about 11,000 years. And before it became a city park, Moss Park was an estate that belonged to a man named William Allen. He was the commissioner of the Canada Company, which was a private British land development company that helped colonize a significant part of Upper Canada. In the early 20th century, Moss Park became a neighborhood for workers who built up the industries by the lakeshore. And then in the 60s, a lot of it was demolished to make way for a large public housing project. And because of that project and the concentration of shelters in the area, 
Moss Park's one of the downtown's last surviving poor neighborhoods. With the slow creep of development in surrounding neighborhoods like Cabbage Town and Regent Park, it's coming to Moss Park too. There's a massive three condo development set to go up near the southeast corner of the park. I grew up in Regent Park, one of Toronto's, or it could have even been Canada's first housing complex. It was awesome. When I was growing up, there was no doors locked. Every house looked after all the kids, all us kids. You know, we had free sports, we had free swimming, free ice hockey. Like, you know, a few of my friends went on to the NHL and won the Stanley Cup. And, um, you know, my friend Trevor Daly, who, who, Trevor, number six, um, I learned to skate in that arena right there. I played baseball here. The Moss Park baseball team would be practicing. A bunch of us kids, half got gloves, half don't got gloves, some got shoes, some don't, and we'd be out there running our asses off, running the bases. But we loved it. That's what we looked for. We didn't look for going to the Eaton Center and stealing and all that. You know what I mean? I didn't get in trouble till I became an adult. Never been in trouble till I became an adult. Thank you for the ice. Right on. Just throw it over here, bro. So, you know, like, they ripped down all my, all the housing that I grew up, like Darmount Court. Regent Park's all gone to, for buildings. It's changed. Like this, all of this. That used to be the RCMP building. I had Jarvis and Dundas. That's the only building that's run back 20 years ago. All of this is new. All of it. Look at it. Moss Park's still standing, amazingly, but there's nothing for us. And do you, do you ever see people you grew up with still around here? All of these guys I grew up with. Yeah. I know them from my hood. So that's what also makes it easier, you know? In early March, when we found out about the pandemic, Toronto shelters were already at 94% capacity. A lot of them had people in beds that were only two feet apart and in bunk beds. There was nowhere for people to go to isolate when they got sick. So a coalition of public interest organizations sued the city, saying that they weren't following their own minimal distancing guidelines in their own shelters. And then, of course, there were outbreaks. As of now, there have been at least 600 cases in the shelter system and four deaths. So a lot of people ended up doing what a lot of us probably would have done. They pitched tents. Little Man's tent is under a shady tree on the north side of the park. He made this kind of front porch area with metal barriers and a couple of collapsible chairs. There is a large painted mask propped up against the tree. He calls it his Ooga Booga. I'm a, a, a knick-knack guy. Like I like little trinkets and knick-knacks. But you can only have so much here. Because like, like, even though I have a lock for my tent, they can get in if they want to. You know, they just gotta slice through the, and they're in. So I've lost a lot of stuff while I'm in here, but I've gained a lot of stuff. Is there anything you have that you're like particularly proud of? My clothes. I really take pride in my appearance. So there's no set uniform for homeless people. You know, and I just learned a little while ago through a survey that they did a poll 
that Toronto has some of the best dressed homeless people in the country. And I, I like to think that I, I contributed to that, that. Can you tell me about your outfit? Um, I'm wearing, this is a Puma t-shirt, it's, it's yellow. It's um, a friend of mine's favorite color. And when she, she said I look good in this, I bought it. Um, I'm wearing uh, Carl Kenai jeans, feel running shoes. You know, this is just, this, it's actually my laundry day. What I do is I pride myself in every month when I get my ODSP money, because I only claim basic, because I don't have an address, that I go and buy myself something. One piece of clothing, a pair of shoes, something. So, you know, I just, I'm careful with my clothes, because that's all I have, really. You know, they can take all this, but don't touch my clothes. He says that he actually has a month's worth of clothes, carefully folded in a waterproof bag, in what looks like a two or three person tent, max. On laundry day, he'll go to a laundromat and do five or six loads at once. For him, it's worth it because it's really important to be clean. And, you know, it's not easy when you're camping in a park for weeks in a heat wave with no running water. My name is Angie Austin. And I'm OS initials. Water is like the most rarest commodity around there, you know? Yeah. Like it's, e it's easier to access drugs and alcohol than it is to access actual water. That's, that's where things get kind of pathetic because it's like water is a necessity, you know? We need water to live, you know? Uh, my last shower was um, about a week and a half ago. In between that, I've, I've, I've had bird baths and stuff like that. Um, you know, like and taking that bucket of water and washing myself down, stuff like that. Around here, everybody knows Angie. People defer to her. If she's sitting in a group, she's usually the one sitting in the middle. When a guy walked up and tried to derail our interview, Angie let him have it. Hi, Mommy, Can you excuse you? me, man? Sorry. Hey, we're just doing an interview right now. I know, I know. So Welcome excuse me. Fuck. Um, Angie actually isn't homeless right now. She's got an apartment in another neighborhood. It's only six kilometers away, but she feels better being around Moss Park. It's closer to her medicals, the people she knows, even if that means living out of a tent. In front of Angie and OS's tent, there's a bright yellow bucket that's filled with soapy water. It's actually a repurposed syringe disposal bucket from the safe injection site. I use it to do my laundry. Um, I use it to, to, to wash myself. I use it to wash my hair. Um, I use it to wash my body. Um, and I use it to drink sometimes. It's like anything that we can do to like freshen up like with a bucket of water, you know, wipe down, soap up, wipe down, wipe down. Like, like that becomes, you know, like number one, you know. Or wait till it's a really rainy night and go outside with your bar of soap. <laughs> right. And has it changed like the way you kind of like go around the city? Yeah, yeah. yes. Oh, sure. I'd be out a lot of the time um, shopping. I don't even go in downtown very much anymore. Yeah, then you, know, you don't want to be walking around the store for, for, for 45 minutes, working up a sweat and standing in a line where everybody's so close to you and a lot of people are sniffling and subconsciously, subconsciously you think that they're sniffling at you because you might think that they think you smell or something. You I don't know. Smell. Right? I don't know. So, it, it, so, it, so, so when I said there's no running water, there is actually one spot 
right beside the community garden, there's this locked box with a hose inside, and only the people who use the garden have the combination. So while Angie's talking about taking baths out of a syringe disposal bucket, I see two women inside the community garden, watering their gardens with the hose. Angie used to depend on those people to fill up, but then she did something about it. I was a smart one. I stood behind somebody one day and, and uh, seen the combination, so I opened it myself now. Oh, so you know the combination? Yeah. And do other people uh, know the combination? Do no, you tell them? Or nope. No. They have to pay me. <laughs> <laughs> So, for several weeks, people have been asking the city for running water. And I don't mean a garden hose. They want the city to open up the bathrooms in the community center that's in the park. The city councillor for the ward, Kristen Wong Tam, said that the city put two porta potties up in the park and that they're serviced every day. And even though I'm someone who thinks housing is a human right, it kind of sounded reasonable to me. Like, why don't they just use the porta potties? But until I actually talked to people, I couldn't understand how my assumptions were making me more susceptible to the city's talking points. And regardless of what you think the city's moral responsibility should be, it's still important to figure out why their solutions aren't working. Like, there are two porta-potties on the south end of Moss Park, but to Little Man and to others on the north side, the south side is a different place, even though it's only a couple hundred meters away. So we call that the, the gauntlet, because a lot of shit happens down there. Right, that's, that's the south end. And then we call this um, uptown, the more classier where we try to keep it clean and, you know, look, look out for each other's stuff. And as you can see, we're kind of an older class up here. You see how everybody lives together. Then you look down there and everything is disorganized and dysfunctional. These young kids, you know, I've watched these kids being born most of these kids. It's a joke to them. They just want to come here, make their money, and, and, and leave. They're, they're not here for what we're representing. We're representing homelessness. He says that the fundamental problem with the young kids down there is that you just can't trust them. And honestly, it's not that different from the kind of kids these days talk that you hear in a lot of communities. Like there's genuine care underneath that judgment. I'm on disability for a reason. I had two major operations, one on my spine, one on my abdomen, you know what I mean? So through my drug use over the years, this is what happens. This is why I try to preach to these younger kids, how long you been using cocaine? How long you been using crack? How long you been using fentanyl? And they all say the same thing. Oh, I just started last year. Why? Why would you do that? This, just take a walk through here and see what we're doing, and it should be enough to deter them. And I, I don't preach to them, I just tell them, it's only gonna get worse. It doesn't get better. It got worse for us. We're all, most of us up here are 10 to 20 year users and plus. We keep those young kids down there. We don't want the noise, we don't, you know? At 11 o'clock, we try to quiet it down. We, if someone's playing their music, we'll go over and say, listen, can you just slow it down? Because there are people who go to bed earlier. There's older, you know. In the morning, I go and check out all my friends. I call names. I make sure, you know what I mean? There's driver. He's my family. Over there, there's lady. They're my family. They're the ones I go to. I'm hungry. 
um, I need smoke, um, I need a couple dollars, this, that. They're the ones, and they come to me. And they know at the end of the day, if something pops up, we're all here together. You know, safety in numbers, how I see it. The more we have looking for each other, the less we'll lose. From the outside, encampments might just look like a bunch of tents sort of scattered around. But there's actually a lot of intention behind where people set up. And even though Tent Town's only been up for a few months, Little Man tells me they have a whole decision-making structure for keeping things cohesive. A lot of people want to move up here, but... What's the process people go through if they want to move up here? Well, I give them an application, and then we go to the committee, and then we vote on it. And it has to be three elite committee members or more can vote, have to say yes. So if I want my friend from down there to move up here, and, and I'm the only one saying yes, he's not moving up here. We go to the, the we call them the dogs, them, and we say, listen, this guy wants to move up here, so you have a problem. If there's no problem, we go to every, if there's no problem, he can move up here. So That's, who are the like people who make the decision in this area? Uh, I can't you give you- You don't wanna say their names. Yeah, I can't give you that information. All I could say is we call ourselves the dogs, them. You know, woof, woof. You know, we get it done. I find out if they're warring with anybody up here. I find out if they're fighting with anybody. Have they done any dirt up here? They say no, you know, they just want out of that shit. Then I come bring it back to my, my people and we vote on it. So what does all that have to do with washrooms? Well, Little Man says that because the porta potties are in the South, they can't take ownership of them, make sure they're kept clean, which is another big reason why people won't use them. They're gross, they're disgusting, it's horrible. I don't even use that. I don't even use that. Like, let me tell you, I, and I'm a man, and I can't stand the smell going in there. And I mean, like, they flip them over. Like, it's just stupidness. You know, I have to make sure I have a, a pee bucket for my friends when they come over. I'm a man, you know how we do it. But women, they, they got a little class to them. So, you know what I mean? Like, we, there was this construction site over here at Jarvis and Shooter had a porta potty that was open. I told the girls, listen, there's a clean porta potty. Go over there, you can have your time, nobody bother you. Then somebody seen them going in there. And then before you know it, people were leaving bear cans in there. People were leaving needles in there. Now they have a lock on it. See, all good things come to an end because people don't know how to keep things quiet. But I don't care because I, I, I rather have a good thing for a short time than not have it at all. That's just me. But it's not just about how clean they are. It's also a question of safety. Try to imagine what it would be like to wake up in the middle of the night and leave your tent, which has all of your stuff inside, to cross the park in the dark and go to the bathroom. On the northeast end of the park, things are a little less dense, like almost like it's more for people who want to be alone, but together. It's right near where the community center bathrooms would be if they were open. Hi, I'm a raven. I'm a homeless individual, no fixed address. Um, 28, uh, I've been homeless for nine years. I've been waiting for housing through Housing Connections for nine years as well. I'm waiting for a two bedroom because I do have a son and I eventually would like to work very hard to get him back 
in my life because I love him and he's my best friend and he makes me so happy and I want to hold him again. Raven's son is living with her sister right now. She used to have a phone that she used to video chat him, but that only lasted a couple of days because someone stole it while she was sleeping. Anthony is sitting outside of a tent nearby. My name is Anthony and uh, um, I do have a home. I'm with my mother and my brother, um, but I'm also, a, um, let's say, an active crack cocaine addict. And you know, it's not a it's not a glorious life, but I do try, right? But trying isn't enough. You have to do, right? Anthony was having a relapse when the pandemic was ramping up, and he didn't want to compromise his mom, who's 77 years old, so he left home. It was still cold outside, and shelters were already starting to reduce their beds. Raven and Anthony spent a lot of time waiting outside. Yeah, it was freezing, man. We were it not dragged on. in places at all. Like, it was freezing outside. We went into fucking buildings, and we were being kicked Keep out down. by the security the when we tried to get warm, yeah. I mean, if you're forced to keep smoking because it's exactly. using, because it's cold. I swear to God, it's cold, and you got nowhere to go. So by using, 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 you stay awake. The drugs take away hunger pain, and the drugs give you artificial energy. Now, if you had somewhere to go and lay down, you would decide to stop using. So now it's warmer, but there's less access to shower programs and bathrooms that people used to depend on. And that's especially hard for Anthony because he has an enlarged prostate. I have no meter in my, you know, in my, in my, uh, in my bladder, okay? That... I got about three seconds and I got to go. Okay. And because of the pressure, sometimes I'm going number one and it's hitting number two, right? Many times I've run into these shelters or these places and I'm saying, please, I got to go to the bathroom, man. And then look at me and they say, well, no, no, we can't let you in. I say, listen, there's something called discretion. I'm telling these people, it's almost a human right to use a toilet because we're Canadian citizens and this is a Christian nation. And there's no way you're not gonna, you're having me shit in the laneways and on the streets. And you're pissing in the laneways. I have to do because this. I have to shit wealthy on the side of the yeah. street. I <laughs> don't want to. I don't want people staring at me. My well, ass are close my to us, man. So Sorry. it's a joke. Yeah, you can make up a reason why you don't want to house us, right? You don't have housing for poor people. They spend trillions of dollars on whatever they want to do. But now, you're denying homeless people the bathroom. Okay, so the bathrooms are out. What about the showers? The city says that there are showers inside of a community center that's just a 10-minute walk away. I asked Little Man why he doesn't use them. Listen, I can't be somewhere where telling me how much time I have to shower. I'd rather go give my buddy $10 and I can take it now two hours I don't got people waiting behind me, you know, I feel, or people stealing my stuff when I'm in the shower, you know? So I just do it the way I do it. Little man spent about 20 years of his life in prison. Anything that makes him feel like he's being herded isn't something he's likely to want to do. Showers are only open during specified hours, except some days you'll get there and they're not for some reason. There's often a lineup, which means that you have to be away from your tent and all your stuff for an unspecified amount of time. And that means you need someone to watch over it. 
If the risk gets a lot higher the further you go from your tent, it starts to seem a lot easier to just stay home and figure it out. Well, and people still will still need water. So like the water main thing gets fixed for whatever three weeks and there's still water running over by the community center. Like there must be something that could be- Across the park, an outreach worker named Zoe Dodd is on the phone with this guy, Scott McKean, who's kind of like a go-between for the city and outreach workers on the ground. City workers are moving people's tents on the south side so that they can fix a broken water main. The water fountains in Moss Park are also broken. They have been for months. And Zoe's jockeying with the city about it. Yeah, we're talking about the H2O to go truck. And then it can shower people too. She asks him why the city can't bring an H2O to go water truck around so that people can take bird baths or even just turn the park sprinklers on. The day before, Zoe tweeted out a video of the hand washing station that the city installed in the park. It got 30,000 views. So that's it. it's not emptying. Water spurts out of here. There's no soap in it. There's no paper towel. And then if you look in back, it's like filled with slime. Like, what are people washing? And since there's no water here, people might feel inclined to use this water to drink from. because they're only- Scott tells her that the city's making it a priority to clear people out of Moss Park. To make way for a kid's camp. I told them that we'll support people if they want to stay in the park because they want housing and that people can stay here for housing. I mean, really, this is about the use of public space. This isn't about people's survival. And if it was about people's survival, they would have brought aid for people. They'd have the HTO truck here. Instead, they want to make it so shitty for people to be living here that they hope people will just disband. But there's 1,200 people. There's like way more tents popping up everywhere. There's tents now in the parks next to my house that didn't exist before. So their plan doesn't work because we need thousands of units of housing. So the thing is, even if Zoe and Scott agree on some aspect of this, there are only two people in a whole network of actors with their own goals who can totally change how things go down in the park on any given day. First, there's the city. They're doing their best to make homelessness less visible without fixing the fundamental problem. They lease hotels and apartments and then contract them to nonprofits who run them like shelters. The vast majority of them are far away from downtown and they all have different rules and restrictions. Some have curfews, some don't allow guests, some don't have doors that lock, none are permanent housing. So now they have these beds at shelter hotels and they need to fill them. That's where Streets to Homes comes in. They go around encampments in plain clothes with clipboards and try to match people to shelter hotels. They know how many beds there are in the entire city on any given day, but it's unclear how they prioritize certain encampments over others. And then there's the Yellow Jackets. Those are parks ambassadors. They're called that because they wear yellow jackets. Their uniforms sort of look cop adjacent. Their job is to, quote, ensure that parks remain welcoming for passive and recreational use, which seems like a euphemism for bylaw enforcement. Moss Park's main ambassador? He's been around a long time. Here's Zoe again. Troy Ford has been notoriously known for, what, 15 years now? He's worked around here, he rides a bike around, and he pretends to be all nicey-nice to the homeless people, but basically he's just like seeing where they're camping, then he lets the city know, he shows up with an eviction notice, and suddenly the person's evicted. He's not a friend to homeless people, um, but they pretend to be friendly. They like go around and say they're doing wellness checks, but like what are they wellness checking? They don't bring people water, they don't bring them food. I mean, when we talk about defunding the police, we, sh- we have to include parks ambassadors because they work with the police. They also give people no trespass tickets. I mean, last year, this is a hilarious story, 
there was an indigenous guy that was like living in this park and he came in and he showed us this ticket that Troy Ford gave him for trespassing here and we said to him what do you want to do about it he said I want to make a ticket that says you're trespassing on native land and give it right back to him I was like man we should do that but then we didn't want everyone targeted in the park Suspects, we call we call everybody a suspect. Like when you first came through, you were a suspect. We don't know if you're a cop or not. Now I get to know you, I, I can figure it out. Wait, why do you think I'm not a cop? How did you figure it out? <laughs> well, because most cops don't help. Most cops are just out to arrest you or to see what, it's, it's their training to fed, you know, to, to get information. You're not asking me the, the vulnerable information about this place. You're asking me the vital information, which is housing, which is what's going on out here. Cops aren't like that. Cops give themselves away. Suddenly the park seems a lot busier. Streets to home staff have been going around for a couple of hours. They're trying to get people into the 10 temporary shelter hotel spots they have on offer for the day. It's a decision people have to make on the spot. They're told where it is, but a lot of the time that's it. They don't know what the rules of the place are, what the transit options are, if there's easy access to food. They get a couple of hours to pack their stuff up and then they get bussed out. A lot of them end up coming back. I ask Little Man if he's considering moving out. They want to put us out in North York. Well, I got a grandchild on the way. I got a sick mother, a sick aunt that live together. Like, they need me close to them. I can't be traveling three, four hours to get to my mom if she has an accident. So, you know, like, really and truly, there is no affordable housing down here. To get a, 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 a one-bedroom apartment, single man, in downtown Toronto, they want $1,500. We really need housing. And not put us in a hotel over here. Put us in a hotel down here. Oh, how are you going to give grown people a curfew? I don't understand that. 11 o'clock curfew, check-in. Like, I'd rather tent. I'm going to tent all summer if I have to do that. My word. I will not go and have, it's like being in jail. But even with all the uncertainty, some people accept the offers. Here's Nectar. Today, after almost two and a half months, I um, finally got offered a place with my fiance and my two dogs and two cats. <laughs> Can you tell me a little tiny bit about your pets? Uh, I have a little dog named Gucci. He's a Shih Tzu and then uh, a rescue dog. I don't know what she is. She's a mutt. Um, her name is Baby. She acts like a big baby. And then, uh, and then I have two cats, which are both rescues. Well, one was me, uh, basically a kidnapping. I seen it in like a trap house and the, the owner was pregnant and homeless and drug addict also. So like she had no means to really take care of the cat and the other cat was um, found in a bag on the sidewalk in the pouring rain so so yeah so the first cat his name is City Bucket <laughs> and the second cat is named Fila so that's my oh and then we have a bird named Rabbit <laughs> and and the other one was named Hollywood but uh, City Bucket killed it so that's just my little zoo. Do they do they come back if they're like roaming around? Yeah, they always do. I just I just yell city bucket and then they they all come. Yeah. So. Nectar told me that the new place seems a bit far, but they said yes anyway because they can bring their zoo and because they want to concentrate on starting their business. 
It's called Custom Cuts, and they do custom-made painted wall stenciling. My bedroom's going to be all Gucci, like Gucci stencils. I did my friend's room. I'm doing another place, uh, Louis Vuitton. Um, I redid my friend's um, kitchen. They didn't have a backsplash or anything, so I just kind of painted it on. It looks really cool. You're busy. Well, I'm trying to be busy, but I'm preoccupied at the same time. And I don't know, I I don't have confidence so much because I don't have stability. This is my 10th tent. And it's just me and my, my fiancé, which were the same sex um, relationship. So, um, I don't know, sometimes people target us and stuff. Um, uh, they think that it, we're weaker, but really and truly, they don't know what they're getting themselves into if they start. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, people have came to our tent and slashed it and this shit and that shit. So it's it's not fun anymore. It used to be fun years ago. It's not fun anymore. It's what just dangerous. It used to be like, oh, I guess I was like the new girl, right? So <laughs> everything was easy for the new girl. And now uh, I've earned my stripes down here, and now I guess I got to be that person making it difficult for the new girls. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do anymore. I just want to get up out of this. My mom's a drug addict. She smoked crack my whole life, and uh, I picked up the habit myself, so I just want to get back to normal things because all I want to do is work with my hands and build shit. If, if I stay here any lo- longer, there'd be a second level to my tent. I have four tents put together all in one. It looks like a condo. Um, even I have, a, I have a balcony and, uh, and my gazebo and <laughs> I don't know. I just keep on getting tents and building up, so yeah, sometimes you just need change, right? Yeah. Yeah, but um, yeah, I gotta get back over yeah. there and. Best of luck. Thanks yeah. so much for talking. Thank you. Take care. All right. So today was pretty confusing and it's like uh, everything's changing the park so rapidly. You know, a couple days ago there was, I'd say like at least 60 people living here. Over the last two days a big shift has happened, Streets to Homes has come through, uh, park ambassadors have come and put eviction notices on people's tents. There's been threat of uh, fines, there's been threat of police showing up. So a lot of people just have decided to either take the temporary shelter option or they've just left. The vibe is a lot different. There's most of the tents are gone. Uh, There's a few people that are holding out for housing and the city is still trying to, you know, get those people into the temporary shelter and they just don't have permanent housing on offer. So we're at this kind of weird standstill. Uh, We have a lot of- That's Jeff Burke. Around here, people call him the Iceman because he brings bags of ice to the park every day. He's an artist who's also been organizing with the Encampment Support Network and He showed up at the park this morning with about 20 other ESN organizers, outreach and frontline workers, lawyers, friends, just to keep an eye on things, make sure that people weren't being forced into options they didn't want to take. Since the last time I was in Moss Park, the city issued a notice of advice to the roughly 20 people who are still living here, saying that there were activities happening that were contrary to the park's intended use, 
including leaving debris and personal goods, digging without authority, and illegal camping. Some media also showed up, and we're all crowded around Derek Black's tent, waiting to talk to him. He's one of the few people left, and he's refusing to leave unless it's for permanent housing. I'm here fighting for this because I, I, I need my housing now. You know, and if I, like I said, if I have to go to jail for this, I'm fighting. This is my home. Why am I going to go into a hotel and be restricted? You know, I can't bring nobody here. Nobody can come Derek says he has more than 100 family members nearby, and he wants them to be able to visit. He's an older man. He's been on the wait list for affordable housing for years, and he's got a disability that makes it hard for him to walk. He says he's been living in the park every summer for the last 35 years. And you can sort of tell because his tent is this complex structure with rooms and high ceilings that he made by joining a bunch of tents and tarps together. He's got generators and a lamp and a bed. There's carpeting. Um, I wake up every morning, feel good, and you know, yeah. I'm a leader down here. Anything I have for, like, I get it. You know, they, they, they provide me with stuff, and then I take care of the other tenants. So they love me. One of Derek's main priorities in Moss Park is making sure that women who have been assaulted are as safe as possible. He points to an area in front of his tent where he gets them to set up so that he can watch out for them. All of them, I sit down and talk to them. You know, so this is what I do. I try to help. This is my park. This is my place, you know. Derek and the other holdouts weren't evicted that day. A couple days later, though, Ontario Coalition Against Poverty, or OCAP, released a statement saying that the city notified the park residents that if they didn't leave by 10 a.m. the next day, they could face fines of $10,000 each. So in response, OCAP and the Toronto Overdose Prevention Society, along with 14 residents, sued the city. They point out that both the UN and the Centre for Disease Control recommend that encampments aren't dismantled during the pandemic unless people have housing, because it's better for containing the spread if people shelter in place, even if that's outside. And because of the legal action and the organizing and the residents refusing to leave, the city announced that they're postponing the Moss Park eviction indefinitely. But that doesn't mean they're not doing it somewhere else. So the fight continues. On the next episode of We Are Not the Virus. There was a crazy storm two days ago, and I know some folks whose tents were destroyed or just like blown away in the wind. And we showed up and everything was gone. That's right. All my clothing, all my possessions, everything thrown in the garbage. They might say they're going to come here tomorrow or go to fleet. That doesn't mean they're going to do that. I can't believe they didn't say anything. We're taking you down to the waterfront to talk about wind. You'll hear from people about holding down your tent in a storm and holding on to a sense of home when you're being blown in different directions. I produced this episode of We Are Not the Virus with production support from Ali Graham. The editorial team was Amanda Leo, Zoe Dodd, Jeff Burke, and Simone Schmidt. Jesse Perlstein made most of the music, except for our intro and outro theme, which is by Jeremy Costello. Thanks to the Interfaith Coalition to Fight Homelessness for donating the water that the city should probably be supplying. Thanks to the residents of Tent Town who spoke to me, and special thanks to Grant Ellis, the poet you heard at the top. 
To find out what the Encampment Support Network is up to right now, follow us at ESNTO for real. That's ESN.TO.4, the number four, real on Instagram, and ESN underscore TO on Twitter. To get involved or to donate or to get our newsletter, do not, I repeat, do not DM. Send an email to report.on.toronto, we love the dots, at gmail.com. Okay, that's it.